So the story that we're going to look at today, it, it reminds me of a time uh, when I was really little. So I was 11 years old, and I'd been asking my parents for a surfboard for years, right? So year after year, I was a skateboarder, you know, but I really wanted to surf. So I'd been asking my parents to, to buy me a surfboard. Well, uh, at my 11th birthday, my parents dis- finally decided to do it. So I, I still remember it. They brought it home on my, on my birthday. It was this big yellow, a brand new board. It said Team Captain Jacks on it. I don't know why it said that, but it said Team Captain Jacks. And I loved the board. I was so excited about it. And I, was, I couldn't wait for the weekend. My, the, my dad was going to take me out that weekend surfing, so I just couldn't wait to get out there and finally try this, this brand new surfboard. Well, Saturday morning came, and uh, it wasn't just my dad, but my, my brother, my sister, my mom, the whole family went down to watch me try out this board. And so we got down to Seal Beach, went right up to the edge of the water. Uh, the waves were a little bit big that day, and so I, I sat there, and I looked out, and I got cold feet. I didn't go out. And my dad tried to convince me, you know, he was there arguing with me, Brent, you know, you can do this, you can do this. But I, I never did it, and in fact, we actually went home with a dry surfboard that day. Never went out. 11 years old. And I still remember, I mean, I'm 44 now, but I still remember palpably uh, the sense of inadequacy, the feeling of self-doubt, uh, the lack of self-confidence there as I sat on the beach. And, uh, you know, aren't you gr- glad that, I mean, some of you have that, had that experience yourselves, you know, whether it was sports or, you know, first day of school or whatever when you were a kid. Aren't you glad we grow out of that? that feeling of self-doubt and inadequacy. Aren't you glad that, that we don't feel that way anymore? You know, what's so interesting is when you read the, the biographies of even great people, people that are very gifted and smart, talented people, there are many adults that bring that, that feeling of inadequacy and self-doubt. Uh, they're still struggling with it. Uh, for example, uh, uh, the pop singer Madonna, she was having an interview, uh, and so the interviewer asked her, like, do you still get nervous when you go out on stage? And this is how she responded. She said, I have an iron will, and all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Madonna says this, and I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I am mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I'm, I'm, I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. And so maybe you, some of you feel like that. Maybe some of you still struggle with a sense of self-doubt, a, a sense of inadequacy, a sense that I'm not good enough for whatever task it is that you're facing. I was reading a book this past week by uh, Scott Sauls, who's a pastor in Nashville. And by by anyone's account, he is very successful. He's got a big church. Uh, He lives in Nashville. He's friends with Tim Keller. I mean, this guy just has it all. But in this book, he said, he he was very vulnerable, and he said, he said, you know, I still lay at night. He said, sometimes two hours at a time, struggling with with this question, can I do it? Am I good enough? So here's Scott Saul struggling with this, with this feeling of self-doubt and inadequacy. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Now, I know that there are many of us who are overconfident. You know, some of you think you are God's gift to the world. I know that, and we know that about you. But still, there are others of us that, st- that struggle 
all the time with this feeling of inadequacy. This this morning, Moses, we're going to look at the story of Moses, and Moses is finally called by God to, to rescue God's people, and he gets cold feet. He is paralyzed by a sense of his own inadequacy. And what we're going to look at is how God meets him there and how God deals with this sense of inadequacy. And hopefully, uh, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with that, you'll be able to to do what Moses did, which is finally uh, answer God's call. So we're going to see three things in this story. Uh, Number one, we're going to see Moses' struggle with self-doubt, his struggle with inadequacy. Second of all, we're going to see how God answers Moses' struggle. And then finally, we'll see how Jesus is God's final answer to your issues with self-doubt. Because some of you are there this morning. So first, let's uh, begin the story, and we'll look at Moses' struggle with inadequacy. We'll begin here in verse 1, where it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, or take the sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face from him, for he was afraid to look at God. And from there, what God does is he speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, and he gives him a call. He says, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people Israel there in Egypt, and I want you to go. I want you to be the instrument. I want you to be my mouthpiece there to Pharaoh to lead my people out of Egypt. So Moses gets this call. Now, a lot of us would love to be in Moses' situation. I talked to a girl this morning, and she said, you know, I'm struggling with unclarity. I wish God would be clear. I wish he'd be more clear. I wish God would send me an email, she said, and just tell me what to do. Maybe some of you are there this morning. Here, Moses doesn't get an email. He gets a burning bush. I mean, how more clear could God be? I'm calling you, he says, to go rescue my people. And this must have touched something deep inside of Moses. This is something that Moses wanted to do years ago. It awakened a deep desire, a deep calling in Moses' heart. But we see here that it also awakened a deep sense of inadequacy in this man. God calls him. He says, Moses, I want you to rescue my people. And Moses looks right back at God and says, nope, I don't think so. He he looks back at God and says, me, what? Wait, what? Now, me, why? He resists God's call on his life. Now, why does Moses do this? Well, you gotta get some of the story. Uh, Moses is in Midian, right? So he's he's been in Midian for 40 years. And here's what we know. Moses has not been in Midian planning a comeback, right? Moses has not been there gathering an army. Moses has not been in Midian working on his leadership skills. Uh, Moses has not been, you know, uh, strategizing a good plan to rescue his people out of Egypt. What has Moses been doing in Midian? It tells us here in verse 1, Moses has been watching the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro. So what has Moses been doing there? He's been watching sheep. And and the verb tense of watching there, it it conveys a sense of continuance. 
So in other words, what has he been doing in Midian? Moses has been watching and watching and watching and watching and watching the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro and watching. In other words, Moses' life is sort of at a dead end. And you got to get the story here because, you know, this is, you know, think back. At one point in his life, Moses was, he was, uh, you know, he was adopted by one of the Pharaoh's daughters. And he was reared in the household, in the royal family, in the royal household. He was a rising uh, leader, right? He had friends in high places. He, uh, you know, he had it all. And he had this deep burden to rescue his people. But then remember, he lost his temper. And in a fit of rage, he, he kills one of uh, Pharaoh's guards. And then uh, Moses flees for his life, and now he's out in the, in the desert of Midian, 40 years, and he's lost everything. Right, all of, his, um, all, of his, all of his financial capital is gone. All of his social capital is gone. All of his uh, physical capital, the man's 80 years old at this point, gone. Moses has lost everything. Moses, at this point, is a forgotten, failed old man eking out a living in a forgotten place of the world. And now God comes to him. <laughs> now, now God comes to him and says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses' first thought is, no. Don't you understand? Maybe 40 years ago? But not me, not now. I'm a shepherd. This is who I am. Don't you know who I am? And out of a sense of deep inadequacy, and out of a sense of deep, a deep self-doubt, and he looks at God and says, I can't do what you're asking. Maybe some of you are there this morning. And it's not just like Moses says no, like Moses digs his feet in here. Like your kids when you're trying to give them a bath at night, like Moses said no. And he digs his feet in here and he argues with God. And it's funny, in the book of Exodus, like God and Moses are always arguing with each other. Uh, they're always going back and forth. And here Moses argues with God. And he's got five points to his argument. It's really good. And I'll just go through them real quick. First of all, he says, God, he says, who am I? He says, God, don't you know who I am? I'm a shepherd. I'm not a leader of your people. He says, you got to know, you know, God, who am I? I mean, you've got the wrong guy. And then he looks at God and says, number two, who are you? I don't even know you. At this point, uh, Moses has never met God. And he's like, God, I don't even know your name. And if I go there, what am I going to tell them? And then he says, he goes on and he says, and even if I knew your name, even if, even if I knew what to say, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. Why would they believe me? I'm a shepherd from Midian. And then he says, and, and furthermore, God, I can't speak. You know, Moses realizes that, that at some point, this is, uh, on some level, this is a diplomatic mission. Uh, he needs to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. And he says, I, I can't speak well. You know, I'm not, I'm not articulate. Now, what's interesting is the book of Acts says that Moses was a man mighty in word and in deed. Somebody pointed out to me this morning. And either, you know, he's 80 years old. Maybe he lost his mojo. I don't know. Uh, maybe he really wasn't, maybe he's, you know, uh, you know uh, he's not as good as he thought he was. We, we don't know, but he says, God, I, am, I don't have the skills needed for the job. I can't speak. And then finally, uh, chapter four here, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. He says, he says finally, uh, here's the capstone of his argument. God, oh Lord, send somebody else. 
(laughs) I love that. Oh, Lord, send somebody else. Here I am. Send somebody else, God. And Moses here is having a crisis of confidence. At one point, uh, this M- Moses uh, was filled with, uh, with Mojo. But he's been 40 years in the desert, and now he says, God, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do. Now, what I want you to see here is that this is not good. <laughs> God isn't happy with this. I mean, on one hand, it looks sort of like, a, like humility, Right? Oh, I can't do it. I'm not good enough, God. But here, God is not happy with him. In fact, at the very end uh, of chapter four, God gets angry and says, fine, I'll have your brother Aaron go with you if you're so worried about it. And what's going on here is that this, this is not humility. This is almost a reverse form of pride. Is, is what Moses is struggling with here. Uh, Moses' deep sense of inadequacy, Moses' self-doubt, is almost a reverse form of pride. Now, a lot of times we think about pride as, as like thinking too highly of yourself. But did you know that pride can also be manifested when you think too lowly of yourself? Uh, here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He's talking about humility. <clears throat> and this is what he says. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed to be a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. <clears throat> if you do dislike him, he will, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about a humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Here's humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm nothing. Oh, I can't do it. It's thinking of yourself less. And look, about, look at Moses here. If you look at his argument, you've got to see how many times the word I shows up. I can't do it. I can't speak. I can't go. They won't believe me. This is all about Moses. His sense of inadequacy and his self-doubt all revolves around him. A wounded ego, in other words, is preoccupied with itself and its own shortcomings. A healthy ego doesn't even pay attention to itself or its shortcomings. Have you ever noticed that? You know, Moses here, he's got a wounded ego, right? The desert of 40 years, he's questioning his identity. You know, prolonged suffering always causes us to question our identity. And he's got a wounded, wounded ego, and all he can think about is me, and I can't, and I won't. But a healthy ego almost forgets about itself. Uh, my little son, Micah, just wounded his uh, foot two days ago. And usually little Micah never thinks about his foot. You know, he pat, you know, pats around all the time, all over the place. And he never says, Daddy, look at my foot, or oh, my foot, or check out my awesome feet. He never does that. But since he has a wounded foot, he's been, you know, he's been walking, you know, very gingerly on it like this. And he's, Daddy, look at my foot, and have you seen my foot? And showing everybody his foot. You see, it's the wounded ego that is preoccupied, preoccupied with itself. If you're always thinking, oh, me, and I can't, and it's my, I won't do it, and I can't do it, and it's me, and look at this, and I'm so horrible. Something's wrong with your ego. And the tragedy of this 
is that so often this, this sense of inadequacy, the sense of I can't do it, I won't do it, gets in the way of God using you. God wants to call you. God's got a plan for your life and he's got a purpose for your life. But so often it's our wounded sense of pride. It's our, I can't do it and I won't do it. It's our lack of confidence that gets in the way of God using us. Sometimes it's because you think you're too awesome that keeps God from using you. But for many of us in this room, it's that you think you can't. It's a lack of confidence that's holding you back. There was one elder of this church, and I won't mention his name, but we asked him to be an elder like eight times, and he always said no. (laughs) He said, no, 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 I can't do it, I won't do it. And finally, he just came to us. We finally asked him, and he said yes. And he said, I realized that I had to get over myself. I kept on thinking, I'm not ready, I can't do it, I'm not good enough. And I realized that it was me, I had to get over me. And Moses here has to get over himself. Well, how does he do it? Well, God's going to help him here. That's the second point. Uh, God is going to convince Moses. He's going to argue him out of his lack of self-confidence. <clears throat> and we're going to see how God does it here in the story. Uh, what God does here is, he, is he's going he's to he's confront Moses' self-doubt. And he's going he's to heal him of it. And we're going to see what he says. He almost argues back at Moses here. And first of all, I want you to see what God does not say. God does not look at Moses and say, you know, the Lord doesn't look at Moses and say, Moses, you're better than you think. You know, Moses, you're not that bad. You're pretty good. He doesn't look at Moses and say, Moses, look within. All the answers are inside of you. You know, muster it up. You've got the mojo there. He does not look at Moses and say, I've heard you speak. You're not that bad. He doesn't encourage Moses' confidence in Moses at all. Instead, what he does is he tries to get Moses' focus off himself and onto God. This is what God's argument is. This is how he's going to pull him out of his, his sense of inadequacy. And I want to look at uh, God's argument. Let's check it out. So God, the first part of his argument is this. Moses, I made you. I made you, Moses. Moses says, God, my mouth. My mouth. You don't understand I can't speak. And I'm not good at it. And God looks at Moses and says, Moses, I made you. I made your mouth. You're not telling me anything new. I created you. And God knows all about Moses' gifts and his abilities. He knows all about Moses' inabilities. And he says, Moses, I know that I've got the right man. And this is what God says to you. If you're struggling with self-doubt this morning, a lack of self-confidence, God created you. The one who calls you created you. He knows exactly what you are like. He did not make a mistake when he built you. And all of your gifts and all of your inadequacies are all part of God's design. He made you on purpose. And Moses says, oh, my mouth, oh, my mouth, I can't do it because of my mouth. And God says, your mouth, I made your mouth. I created you. I know what I'm doing. I know who I'm calling. You know, some of you hire people. This is your job. You're involved in hiring. The thing about hiring is you, you don't... You, you just never know completely the person that you're hiring, right? This is the problem. 
you look at their resume, you know some of their gifts, you know some of their drawbacks from talking to the um, references, but there's always that mystery there, right? People always bring goods and they bring bads into your organization. But here's the thing about God. God knows everything about Moses. Nothing about Moses is a surprise to God. And God looks at Moses and says, I know exactly what I'm doing. You're inadequate? Yeah, I know that. I built, I built that mouth of yours. And so this is the first argument God gives. He appeals to the Imago Dei. And he says, Moses, I know what I'm doing. Don't you worry about your limitations. God, God says, I can be glorified in your limitations. You know, anytime we complain to God about our personal limitations, we complain against the God who made us that way. And God looks at Moses and says, look, I made you. You've got this. Okay, so that's the first argument. God goes on. He says, look, he, he says, number one, I made you. But then here's the second thing God says. He says, look, I made you. But secondly, I need you to know that I am with you. This is how God answers Moses's uh, his arguments. See, Moses says, look, I can't do it. My mouth, you know, I'm not good. You know, I'm not the right guy. I'm a shepherd. And God looks back at him and he says, listen, Moses, what does he say? I am with you. This is the second way to confidence, a proper confidence, is to know that God is with you. He's with you every step of the way. And it doesn't matter what task he's calling you to, and it doesn't matter how hard it is, and it doesn't matter how weak you are. The decisive factor in your success is God's presence. God says, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. And this is, this is the way to a proper confidence. Have you seen the Saturday Night Live where the, the poor girl with uh, you know, self, uh, self-confidence issues, she, she sits in front of the mirror and what does she say? You're beautiful and you're smart, and doggone it, people like you, right? And that's her mantra before the mirror every day. You're beautiful, you're smart, and doggone it, people like you. Don't you love that one? Well, that's not the greatest mantra, I don't think, because some of it may not be true. Sometimes people really don't like you. (laughs) I hate to break it to you. But here's what you should say instead. Look in front of that mirror, And say, whatever I see, here's the truth. God is with me. And God says this to his people all the way through the Bible. So you've got Moses here. Moses is all racked with, uh, you know, self-confidence issues. And God says, I'm with you. I'll be with you. And then you remember Joshua. It was the same thing. And God looked at Joshua and said, fear not. Why? For I am with you. And then it was Jeremiah who said, oh, I can't go. And God said, I'm with you. And do you remember the disciples as Jesus sent them off into the scary world with this incredible call? He looked at them and he says, lo, I am with you. He's not just with the low people, the short people. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you. And he will never leave you. And it doesn't matter what he's calling you into. If he is with you, it's going to be okay. And he will be. 
And Moses learns this lesson later on in, in, in Exodus 30. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses had been to Egypt and he pulled the people out and through the Red Sea. And now they're at Mount Sinai. And at the bottom of the, of the mountain, after receiving the Ten Commandments, God says, now Moses, go. Go into the promised land. And Moses looks at God and he says, God, I'm not going unless you go with me. And if God goes with you, and he will, you're gonna be okay. This is another, this is his argument. God is saying, look, I made you. I created you. I know all about you. Your gifts and your limitations. And I'm with you. I'm with you every step of the way. I'll never leave you always to the end of the age. But then finally, God looks at Moses and he says, I am for you. He says, you can be confident because I am for you. Now, this is at the very beginning. Moses says, look, I can't do this. Who am I? And then, and then God says, yes, you can. I'm going to be with you. And then Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, I'm going to tell you my name. And this is a really important scripture. This is one of the most important scriptures in, in all of the Bible where God proclaims his name to Moses. And he says, this is who you tell them sent you. What is God's name? It's really interesting. You tell them that my name is I am. I am sent you. Now what is, <laughs> what is that? I am, that's the, that's the Hebrew verb to be. And God says, that's my name. My name is I am. And what is God telling Moses there? He's saying, Moses, I am not a finite thing in the world. There are finite things in the world. Uh, Pharaoh is a finite being in the world. And, you know, the empire of Egypt, that's a finite institution. It's going to end. But here's what you need to know about me, Moses. I am not a finite thing in this world. I created this world. I am. As the philosopher said, God is saying, I am the ground of all being. I'm not a being in the world. I am the ground of all being. I hold the breath of Pharaoh in my hand. I created this world and everything and everyone in it. This is who you're talking to. And then this infinite God, this voice out of the burning bush, this infinite voice looks at Moses and says, and you know what? The I am says, I will deliver my people. God says, you're going to make it. The infinite one who created all things, looks at Moses and says, you will not fail. He says that to Moses. And in some ways, God looks at us and says, listen, I am for you. The infinite one, the God who created everything, I am for you. And if I am for you, then who could be against you? A pharaoh in Egypt? Who can be against you? If I am is for you. So you see, he's building our confidence. He's saying, it's not about you. It doesn't matter about you. It's about me. And I created you, and I am with you. And if I am with you, if the I am is with you, then who could be against you? God says, I am for you. And this is what we all need to hear. You know, those of us who, you're here, I know you're here, and, and maybe you're like Scott Sauls, and you're up at night worrying about, am I good enough? Can I make it? You're struggling with this sense of inadequacy. 
Here's what you need to know. Here's the voice that you need to hear out of that burning bush. Here's the infinite voice that you need to hear. It is God saying, I am for you. In fact, Scott Sauls in his book, uh, here's what he says. He says, no amount of applause or praise or year-end bonuses or attaboys or girls will satisfy the ache. The ache of inadequacy, the ache, and help us find what we're looking for. He says, only the strong, authoritative voice of God can do that. And here's the strong, authoritative voice of God coming out of the burning bush, saying, Moses, I am, and I will deliver you. I'm for you. Scott Sauls goes on, and he says, once you begin to fear God, that is, once you begin ascribing supreme significance to his pronouncements over you, Versus all the more fragile and fading pronouncements coming from other lesser, fragile, finite, fading voices, you'll be free to look outside of yourself and start loving and serving. In other words, all of us need to hear the voice out of the burning bush. All of us need to hear God saying, I created you, I am with you, and I'm for you. Because Moses is going to experience trouble, and all of, all of us will too. The people, all of Moses' fears here, I mean, the, he's saying, oh, they won't listen to me. Oh, they're gonna reject me. You know what they do? They don't listen to them, and they do reject him, the people of Israel. And the only thing that kept Moses going was that inner confidence that came from that infinite voice that came out of the bush that burned that was not, not consumed. And you need to hear that voice. So finally, uh, what I want us to see is that Jesus is the ultimate answer that he gives, that God gives to Moses. I think that ultimately this, this thing that Moses needs, this voice, the sense that God is with him, it, it culminates in the person of Jesus. When Jesus was in the world, he looked at the Pharisees and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus is claiming to be the one that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Before Abraham was, he said, I am. I am God with you. I am God for you. And he proves that when on the cross, he he got up there and he shed his blood and he died for you. And Paul said, if God did this for you in Jesus, if God gave his life for you, then it shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is for you. And if God is for you, he says in Romans 8, then who can be against you? In other words, the gospel gives us confidence. The gospel gives us a proper confidence. It's not in you. It's not in your abilities. You know, although God has given us abilities, that's ultimately not your source of confidence. Your source of confidence is outside of you in the God who created you and is with you and is for you. What I love about the story is that, is that Moses, I think, learns from this. And I think maybe, um, you know, we all struggle with God's call, and maybe the struggle is part of the call. And Moses learns here, and God changes him. Before he was a man who was arrogant. Now he's kind of fallen down to this man who says, oh, no, I can't do anything. Oh, I can't do anything. But ultimately, I think what God is, he makes him humble, truly humble. Confident, but not in himself, but in God. And ultimately, the, Exodus says that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. 
And I think it was D.L. Moody who said that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life learning he was a somebody, and the next 40 years of his life learning he was a nobody, and then the rest of his life learning what God can do with a somebody who knows they're a nobody. And God wants to work that in you. You've got this. Not you, but God in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Moses, and I relate to this man. Uh, what, a, what a real story of a man who's called, and God, you're, you're calling him into something that he's always wanted to do, that he was crea- created and prepared to do, and yet he's struggling with that. And God, I pray for those of us uh, in this room who may struggle, uh, maybe tempted to say no and to resist your calling into maybe things that are risky and dangerous, God, I pray that you would uh, give us a proper confidence, a confidence in the gospel, a confidence that you are with us. And if you are with us, then who could be against us? Lord, you are our God. Not a nameless, undefinable force, but God, you are the I am. You are the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, God, and we pray that you'd help us to know that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.